Well, we're going to read the Bible together now, and we're turning again to Luke's Gospel and to Luke chapter 9. We're reading Luke chapter 9 verse, from verse 51 down to verse 62 this morning, and you'll find our reading on page 868 of the Pew Bibles, page 868 of the Pew Bibles. A couple of simple stories here told by Luke about Jesus. And we're going to read them together and then think about them later on in our service. So Luke 9, beginning at verse 51 and reading down to verse 62. This is God's word to us. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say, well, say farewell to those at home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this morning. Well, at this point in our service, let's take our Bibles and turn back to Luke chapter 9. We're going to think about the verses that we read earlier in our service. as page 868 of the Pew Bibles. And as you're turning to that passage, let's pray for a moment together. Father, how humbling it is to sing the words of our last hymn. We are a moment. We are a vapor. We're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Yet you are eternal and you have given us your eternal truth in your word. And in your word, you call us to respond to the Lord Jesus. Jesus has come to earth, lived, died, and calls us to turn to him in repentance and faith. Father, we pray that in these moments, as we consider these precious, simple verses, that you would help us all to respond to the call of Jesus on our lives, that we would count the cost and follow him. And we pray in his name and for his sake. Amen. Well, this morning we're picking up where we left off last week in Luke's gospel. As I mentioned last week, we're returning to Luke for the fourth time uh, we're going to be studying the next few chapters of this gospel over the autumn months. Uh, last week, we looked at several different stories involving the Lord Jesus. Uh, the most significant of those was his transfiguration when he appeared before his disciples in dazzling glory. Uh, God the Father also spoke from heaven and said, this is my, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Uh, we're picking things up from verse 51 this morning. Our focus is mainly going to be on verses 57 to 62 but, but as we ease our way into this passage this morning, let, let me explain the significance of verses 51 to 56. 
We're told about how Jesus <coughs> is rejected by a Samaritan village. Luke's, Luke begins this section, though, by giving us an interesting detail about the mindset of Christ at this point. We're told that he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now, this is very important. At this point in his ministry, Jesus focuses his mind on going to the city in which he will die. He has predicted his death in the previous verses. Now he sets his face to go to that place. In other words, he's determined to go to the cross. Luke tells us about an incident involving some Samaritans after that. Samaritans and Jews hated each other. They were long-standing enemies. The Samaritans, Jesus comes across, reject him. And James and John want to, to rain down fire from heaven in judgment. Jesus rebukes them and just moves on to the next village. Now, what Jesus does here will make more sense when we move into chapter 10 next week. What we have in, in the following verses, though, verses 51 to 56, is perhaps the most basic explanation in the Gospels of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. There's a simplicity to the Lord's call on our lives. Jesus calls all of us to follow him. That is the call of Jesus in its most basic terms. Jesus says, follow me. He calls us, first of all, to believe and trust in him. There's certain content, certain truth that we must believe and assent to, to be a Christian. We must believe that God has created us and created everything around us. We must believe that part of what it means to be human is that we're sinners. We have rebelled against God. We have turned our back on him. And sin affects all of our faculties. And there's nothing we can do to fix it, change it, remove it, or deal with it. We must also believe that our inability to fix, change, remove, or deal with our sin, God has been gracious in that he has sent Jesus to be our rescuer and our saviour. Through Jesus' death on the cross and by trusting in him, we can know that our sins past, present, and future have been forgiven. As well as that, we must believe that when we trust in Christ, his spirit dwells in our hearts and is at work in us from the moment of our conversion to make us more like our saviour. Having trusted in Jesus, God promises to never leave us, to help us whatever we face, and to bring us to heaven to be with him one day forever. That's the content, the truth that we must believe to be a Christian. And the call of Jesus is to come to him. Now, what does that look like? What will that mean? Well, in this passage, Jesus sets out the implications of what it means to follow him. He explains what we should expect as one of his followers. On the 12th of February, 1997, Lance Bombardier Stephen Resterick was shot dead by an IRS sniper on the Green Road in my home village of Bessbrook. He was 23 years old. He was also the last British soldier to be killed during the Troubles. His murder caused outcry within the local community and further afield. He was shot at a vehicle checkpoint and was last seen smiling at a local woman who was returning home after buying ice cream for her two young children. I, I don't remember the killing, I was only six years old, but following the soldier's death, my dad, as a local representative, traveled to the funeral which was held in England. We happened to be talking about this recently, but one of the things that stayed with dad, having attended the funeral, was the mindset of one of Restrick's family members. The family member also served in the army and dad expressed his condolences to him and. The man's response was something like this. Well, that's what he signed up for. And when he signed up, we knew there was the possibility that something like this might happen. That's 
what he signed up for. Lance Bombardier, Stephen Restrick, signed up to serve in the army. He knew what was involved and he knew the risks he might encounter and ultimately he gave up his life. The call of Jesus is like that of a commanding officer. Jesus says, come, follow me, but make sure you know what it means. If you're going to sign up, if you're going to trust me, you're going to be one of my followers, you've got to know the risks involved, and you've got to know that you're going to have to give up your life. The gospel is simple to understand, but the cost of following Jesus is high. And actually, a faithful presentation of the gospel includes the cost involved. If you ever hear the gospel explained, and the person speaking doesn't mention the cost involved, they're not doing justice to the call of Jesus. In this passage, Jesus sets out the implications of what it means to follow him. He explains what we should expect as one of his followers. He says three things in this passage. First of all, prepare yourself. Life will be uncomfortable. Second, prepare yourself. Life will be unconventional. And thirdly, prepare yourself. Life will be uncustomary. Let's take each of those points in turn as we look at what Jesus says here. First of all, prepare yourself. Life will be uncomfortable. Having set his face towards Jerusalem, Jesus begins his journey on the road. And what we're told is that he encounters three different people, three would-be followers. We're told about the first in verses 57 and 58. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So picture the scene. Jesus is meandering, dandering, walking towards Jerusalem, and all sorts of people are tagging along. This would-be follower jumps out, jumps out of the crowd, and announces to Jesus that he will follow him wherever he goes. Now, words like this are easily spoken, and they reveal ignorance and inexperience. When I was at university in Korean, I was involved with the CU there, and we went on two mission trips to Poland during my time at Korean. One of the things I remember very clearly is traveling on buses to and from different places on the bus. And on the bus, we would sing all sorts of different songs. And the one that I remember singing the most is, I have decided to follow Jesus. You know it, probably, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The impression we get as we read verse 57 is that the would-be follower of Jesus has been singing that song. It's a nice song, the words are good. But Jesus is very keen to emphasize that following him isn't going to be a stroll in the park. The declaration of commitment from this person seems watery at best. Jesus gives a really sharp response in verse 57. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, what does Jesus mean here? He paints two simple pictures. Foxes, they have holes to live in, holes to rest in. Birds, they have nests, they, have, they, they swoop about and they have somewhere to shelter. But the Son of Man, Jesus himself, well, he has nowhere to lay his head. Now, the reality is Jesus did have a place to lay his head. The Bible tells us that he stayed with Peter in Capernaum, and he also stayed with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So what does Jesus mean? He means that to be one of his followers, life will be uncomfortable. Uncomfortable because those who follow him will at times literally be homeless. One of the big stories of the week has been the barge in Dorset that is housing asylum seekers. You've maybe seen it in the news. On Tuesday, the Times newspaper covered the story and provided some details about it. Uh, I have no particular opinion on the story and only skimmed the article. 
But the last two paragraphs in the Times about that story caught my attention. Let me read them to you. Anne Bailiff, 66, from Portland, said her husband was a chaplain at the port and had been put in contact, in contact with a couple of Christian asylum seekers who would be housed on the barge. One is an Iranian man who converted to Christianity and then had to flee because of persecution after a couple of weeks or months, she said. He's been well established in a church in Bournemouth and he is quite nervous about coming to Portland. Uncomfortable doesn't quite capture how that individual must be feeling, but you can be in no doubt that having become a Christian, he has taken the call of Jesus seriously. He has prepared himself for life to be uncomfortable. He has heard the call of his commanding officer. He has understood the risks involved and it has meant significant disruption to his life. Jesus says to would-be followers, some of you will follow me and there will be times when you are literally homeless But there's more to it than that for us as we live in comfortable Northern Ireland. Jesus Jesus is saying that if you walk with him, you will sense that this world is not your home. Verse 57 could actually be the basis of a very good Christmas sermon because Jesus is talking about his incarnation and the discomfort he felt in coming from heaven to earth. He came from his home in heaven to a sinful, broken world. This world was not his home and in that sense he had nowhere to lay his head. But as a follower of Jesus, you should prepare yourself because life will be uncomfortable. If your Christianity hasn't brought any discomfort to your life, something is wrong. If you feel no discomfort and you're a Christian, something's wrong. Now let's be clear. We're not saying that you have to experience homelessness. We're not saying that you have to go off and live in the woods or come and live in church here like we were talking about in the children's address and isolate yourself from the rest of humanity. But if your faith in Jesus hasn't made it uncomfortable for you at any stage or in any situation, whether it's at home, whether, whether it's with family, whether it's in school with friends, whether it's at work with colleagues, if your faith in Jesus hasn't made it uncomfortable for you at any stage, there's something wrong. And you've got to examine your heart and ask why that is. Is it because it doesn't matter enough? Is it because you're embarrassed to be a Christian? Or is it because you're too scared to say that you're a Christian? Prepare yourself, Jesus says. If if you want to be one of my followers, life will be uncomfortable. Prepare yourself as well because life will be unconventional. That's the second thing Jesus says in these verses. Life will be unconventional. Just look at verses 59 and 60. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. This time, Jesus invites someone to follow him. Follow me, he simply says. What Jesus gets in response is that this would-be follower has a family emergency to deal with. Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, it seems like a very good excuse and a very good reason to postpone following Jesus I have to go and organize a funeral. But it's not quite as simple as that. Look carefully at what the person says. Lord, let me first go and bury my father. He doesn't say, my father has died. Let me go and bury him. And that's important because if the man's father was dead, he wouldn't be on the road tagging along behind Jesus. He would be at home making arrangements and so on. It seems that the man's father was elderly 
And the man is asking Jesus' permission to delay following him until his father dies. So he's putting it off and he's putting family before Jesus. If you thought Jesus' reply to the first would be follower sharp, look at his response to the second in verse 60. Leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. There's a wordplay here that's hard to spot because of our English translations. Literally, Jesus says, let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. The, the, the implication was that as a man alive to God, with the call of God upon him, this would-be disciple must do the greater thing and follow Christ. That's what's more important. Now, you've maybe got a few questions at this point. Is Jesus saying that you shouldn't organize or go to funerals? No, of course he's not saying that. Is Jesus saying that when you trust him, you should ignore your family and never speak to them again? Again, he's absolutely not saying that. What Jesus is saying is that you should prepare yourself for life to be unconventional. The point here is that membership of Jesus' kingdom, membership of Jesus' family must come first, even over important social customs like burying the dead. Life with Jesus, life trusting in Jesus will be unconventional. It will mean that you don't follow the social customs of the day. If you trust and follow Jesus, you won't conform to normal societal practice. Now, what will that look like in our current day? It's fairly easy to think, isn't it? You'll give your time and service to an organization that the world thinks is irrelevant. You'll honor marriage and say that anything apart from a man and a woman being joined together in marriage is wrong. You'll say that life is precious and that children are children from the moment of conception. Here's the thing, though. As Christians, there are times when we're too similar to the culture around us. We do the same things people who aren't Christians do. We go to the same places non-Christians do. We talk in the same way unbelievers do. We spend our money in the same things that people who aren't Christians spend their money on. Are you living a life that is unconventional? Are you living a life that is out of step with the culture around us? Are you living in a way that makes people who aren't Christians think, huh, they're different. Why are they different? Too many Christians are similar to the culture around us. If you're going to follow Jesus, you should prepare yourself. Life will be uncomfortable. This world is not your home. And life will also be unconventional. You will live a life that does not match up with how other people around you live. Prepare yourself, life will be uncomfortable, life will be unconventional. And thirdly, life will be uncustomary. Life will be uncustomary. There's some overlap in terms of what the words and our points mean. But what Jesus says to this third would-be follower is slightly different from what he says to the previous two. The scenario is also slightly different in that this third person says they will follow Jesus only to add a but in the same breath. So look at verse 61. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at home. The third man offers his services to Jesus, but sets his own terms. Yes, I'll follow you, but first I have some business to deal with at home. The request is small, and there's actually another example of something like this happening in the Bible. In 1 Kings 19, Elijah, is, Elijah sees Elisha plowing, and he sets him apart and calls him into service. Elisha responds by saying, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. So let me go home, let me go back to my mom and dad, say goodbye, and then I'll come Elijah. Elijah permits Elisha to go back. Now, Jesus knew that Old Testament story, 
So his answer picks up the plowing imagery. Look at what he says in verse 62. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus says that it would be absurd for a man to go out and plow his field and look over his shoulder to see how straight his furrows were. Makes a lot of sense. If you're trying to plow plow straight ahead while your eyes are straight behind, what direction is the plow going to go? It's going to go the wrong direction. Uh, Recently, Lynn and I have been dipping in and out of Clarkson Farm, the the, the program about Jeremy Clarkson trying to be a farmer. You've maybe seen it. Uh, We've only seen part of the first series, but frankly, it has been both educational and hilarious. Educational in that I have learned some things about farming that I didn't know before. Hilarious because Jeremy Clarkson is not a very good farmer. He's a very smart man, but he's not a very good farmer. In one of the early episodes, he's plowing in his massive Lamborghini tractor, and he makes a complete mess of things. It wasn't necessarily because he was looking behind. It was more because he didn't know what he was doing. Jesus picks up the plowing imagery and says, if you're going to follow me, and if you're going to look behind at the things you've left, it's going to be very difficult for you. Jesus says that those who pine after what they've left behind, those who are always thinking about home comforts, those who think about how they would live if they weren't a Christian, those who keep looking in the rearview mirror, won't do well on the road of discipleship. Life with Jesus will be uncustomary. It'll be unusual. Really don't want you to misunderstand this. Ordinary security, accepted customs, home ties are still the norm. Jesus approves of them and they're part of God's plan for life on earth. Normally, that's the way we're led to live. But the hard questions Jesus is asking some of us in this passage are, suppose I were to lead you towards work in which your income would be lower, your prospects, humanly speaking, would be more uncertain, and your standard of living would be non-existent. Would you follow me then? Or suppose I asked you to do something for me, which according to people in your community and from your background is simply not done. Would you follow me then? Or suppose I called you to serve me full time and it meant leaving home permanently, meant saying goodbye to family, it meant missing normal family life. Would you follow me then? Jesus says, prepare yourself. Life will be uncomfortable, life will be unconventional, and life will be uncustomary. In this passage, Jesus sets out the implications of what it means to follow him. He explains what we should expect as one of his followers. It turns out there's there's not a lot of glamour in following Jesus. It's not a very attractive proposition, is it? Follow Jesus. Your life will be uncomfortable, it will be unconventional, and it will be uncustomary. Welcome along. The the thing about the would-be followers in this section is that we're ultimately not told what they do when it comes to following Christ. Don't know if you noticed that. We're left hanging in terms of their response. All we have is what they initially say. From their initial responses, it's clear that the first doesn't realize the cost, the second doesn't want to commit, and the third doesn't want Jesus to set the terms and conditions. What about you, though? How will you respond? I want to finish by pressing you in terms of response. Maybe you've been coming to this church since you were young and now you're older and you've heard sermon after sermon after sermon about your need to trust in Christ. You know what it is you need to do. You're clear in the content and truth of the gospel, but the cost has always put you off. Or maybe you're a young person and you're going through all of our organizations, 
You like church, you're friends in church, but you're not a Christian because following Jesus would cost you too much at school or at rugby or, or at football or in some social setting. Or maybe you've started coming to church recently and you've been here over the summer and you've heard different people talk about Jesus, explain the gospel, and you just know that the content and truth of the Bible makes sense and you're attracted to the offer of forgiveness that Jesus holds out to you. But you don't know how family members will react, how friends will react if you trust in Christ. If those situations in any way speak to you, here's what I want you to take away and think about. The stories Luke records here remind us that following Jesus is costly. But we should always remember that 100% of the costs are incurred, are felt, are experienced here on earth. 100%. None of the costs are carried over into eternity. So yes, life with Jesus here will be uncomfortable. The world was not Jesus' home, and if you're going to follow him, you should expect this world not to feel like home either. Yes, life with Jesus here will be unconventional. As a follower of Christ, you won't conform to normal societal practice. You will live a life that doesn't match how other people live. And yes, life with Jesus will be uncustomary. You won't be able to pine after the things you've left behind. But life with Jesus there, in glory, in heaven, Life with Jesus in eternity will be perfect. Life with him there will be a place of never-ending joy and happiness. The costs experienced here and now are far outstripped by the never-ending joy that belongs to those whose names are written in heaven. The question I want you to go home and think about, if you're not a Christian, if you've never counted the cost, is will I endure the cost of following Jesus in order to experience the joy and perfection of heaven later. It's not our willingness to put up with the cost of being a Christian that makes us acceptable to God, not at all. Our acceptance before God comes by trusting in what Jesus has done on the cross. But the call of Jesus is like that of a commanding officer. Jesus says, come, follow me. But make sure you know what it means. If you're going to sign up, if you're going to trust in me, if you're going to be one of my followers, you've got to know the risks involved. And you've got to know that, know that you'll have to give up your life. But, but in doing so, you should also know that what you gain will far outweigh the cost. So that's what to expect if you're going to follow Jesus. Prepare yourself. Life will be uncomfortable. Life will be unconventional. And life will be uncustomary. If I can help you in any way, if you're not a Christian and I can help you in any way, talk through the gospel, talk through the cost involved in trusting in Christ, I'd love to be able to do that. It'd be a great time of the year to do that now as we begin a new session. The opportunity's there for you to turn to Jesus today, count the cost, follow him, and please reach out and speak to me if that's your desire. Let's pray together for a moment. Father, we realize that each one of us has your call on our lives. You call us all to come to Christ, to count the cost, to follow Jesus. And we pray that you would help us to be faithful followers of Christ if we've trusted in you. Help us to realize that this world is not our home. 
that we won't live lives like other people, that our lives will be uncomfortable, unconventional, and uncustomary until we go to glory with you one day. But we pray, most of all, for those who haven't yet counted the cost, for those who haven't trusted in Christ. We pray that today, by your word, you might speak to them and by your spirit, convict them of their sin and bring them to the point where they turn to Christ for the first time. Father, may your word linger in our hearts. May your call speak on into our hearts this week. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.